Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, July 8th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer, Y Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. So I still have this huge mold problem in my bedroom, which is also my home studio is my walk-in closet so i'm recording in my living room so if it's if i sound different that is why uh hopefully that will be resolved this week before comic-con um but i wanted to ask you guys what what did you guys do on july 4th did you do anything exciting i don't know if exciting is the word necessarily but i did go to a friend's house for just a good old-fashioned cookout uh had some burgers and hot dogs and hung out with friends and fired off fireworks um i did discover a cool uh used bookstore that's kind of like an fye if fye sold like a shitload more books um i don't know if it's like if it's a chain uh, or if it's just um like a regional thing but it's called second and charles and they have they they buy, sell, and trade video games, movies, books. They also have like a bunch of toys, uh, and so I went there and I just looked through their used books and I found some really uh, good stuff. Like I bought the hardcover making of the entire Dark Knight trilogy for four bucks, and it was in incredible condition. Um, and I found I found some other good buys while I was there too. Very cool. HT, what were you doing this? Uh, I went- yeah. Oh, I went to the beach. Um, a couple friends of mine and I went to Jacob Reese Beach at um, the Rockaways. And we just spent the day there. We didn't do much eating, actually. Did more of the drinking, I guess you would say. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Which wasn't a good idea overall because, you know, the heat and then the dehydration. I just ended up passing out, actually. <laughs> and not seeing a lot of the uh, later night festivities. So, um it, but it was fun. I got actually a little burned too, which is very rare for me because I'm a little on the tan side, so it takes a lot for me to burn, and uh, that so that happened. And but it was a lot of fun otherwise. 
Yeah, same with me. It's uh, hard for me to give 10, but it happens sometimes. Uh, I went over a friend's house and had a barbecue. And it's so weird because I I moved from the East Coast. I used to live in Massachusetts to, you know, here in uh, Los Angeles. And back in Massachusetts, fireworks were illegal. And I mean, not that people didn't set them off, but they would like drive to like Maine or New Hampshire and buy fireworks and then bring them back over the border and uh, set them off. But it seems like here, like you can buy fireworks anywhere and everybody in the valley is just like setting off fireworks like in their backyards, like just going insane. I'm glad my dogs do not have a problem with fireworks because there were fireworks everywhere. And it, it it seems like judging by Instagram, everybody has to, has learned how to record fireworks in slow motion with their iPhones and post them on Instagram. That's like the thing. So, anyways, uh, let's talk about what um, let's talk about the news. Actually, you know, I'll start things off uh, really quickly because I did end up going not on July fourth, but on July fifth, I went to Universal Studios. Hollywood, I got a new annual pass, and I, I was going to talk about this on the water cooler, but I think this is good to talk about in the news segment. They have soft opened Jurassic World the ride, and this is the you know the redo of the Jurassic Park ride that has been there since the the nineties, and uh, the, by soft opening means a technical rehearsal, so it's not officially opening. It's not officially open. Think you know, not everything is working properly. Like the water cannons at the end of the ride are not working properly. So my my review reaction is of a, I guess it could be compared to going to the previews of a play or something like that. So, um, but um, I did post a video online of the uh, the whole experience of going to the Jurassic World the ride. They did. It is updated with. All the actor, most of the actors from the uh, the new franchise. So Chris Pratt, B.D. Wong, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, they're all in the Q videos. There's some videos in the ride. The ride itself has been updated with this new opening sequence that uh, brings your raft. Uh, you're in this like raft like vehicle, and it's basically one of those like um, splash drop rides, kind of like Splash Mountain. Um, it's the same ride as it was before. I'm sure everybody knows what. Jurassic Park the ride is but um they updated it with so now the first scene is you going your raft goes through this tunnel in the Mosasaurus Aquarium Lagoon so you come in contact with the Mosasaurus and it's it is these screens I was kind of worried that uh Universal Studios was going to be replacing all these animatronic dinosaurs with screens and my fears were not um completely uh wrong but uh it is really cool because the Mosasaurus is like swimming around you and it, at first it like eats the shark kind of like it does in the movie and um, the water kind of overflows from the aquarium and like completely drenches you. It, I don't know. It, it was really cool and um, they're, they updated like the end sequence of the ride as well. So it includes the T-Rex battling the Indominus Rex and they also have this really cool blue animatronic Anyways, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can check that out, watch the whole ride through video. I will say it does, I think just in the nature of like the color scheme of Jurassic World, it's kind of like this like sanitized modern like look. It lacks the the charm and character 
of Jurassic Park. Um, I guess people would probably say that about the movies as well. Um, but overall, I'm glad to see it get a, a do-over because some of these dinosaur animatronics have been kind of just like sitting in the sun for, you know, decades now and have not been working well. So now it's it, it was amazing to see them in action. And we waited uh, two and a half hours to get on this ride. So uh, check out that video. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, let's talk. Oh, wait. Actually, have either of you been on Jurassic Park the ride? I have not. Yeah, I went on it uh, several times when I lived in uh, California back in 2009, um, and I, it was a lot of fun. I liked it a lot. It's, it was, you know, it's a pretty simple, a pretty simple ride uh, that ends, you know, in a big water splashdown. Uh, but I, I really like doing it. Yeah. Are are you, are you upset they have made a Jurassic World the ride, Brad? Uh, I don't know if I would say upset. You know, I mean, like. The the way theme parks goes, they always have to update to make it more modern anyway. And as it was, the the animatronics that were in that ride were fairly outdated already. So yeah. I, an, an update's probably you know a good idea. Um, I wish they maybe they would have still stuck with the Jurassic Park branding instead of Jurassic World branding, but that's just me nitpicking. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's going to be some people cringing as they see Bryce Dallas Howard's character come on screen during the ride itself. But um, but overall, I think it's it's good. So check out that video in the show notes. Speaking of Jurassic World, a story that we missed last week came after we finished recording, and that is Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom filmmaker J.A. Biona is set to direct the Lord of the Rings series for Amazon. HD, what do we know? <laughs> Amazon has tapped J.A. Bayona, who has recently uh, directed Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, to direct the first two episodes of the fantasy epic series, which is sort of a prequel to the events of J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy. And this will, um, Bayona will also serve as an executive producer for the series alongside his partner, Belen Atienza. And uh, that's that's the uh, extent of his um participation in this series as far as we know but uh, as an executive producer and as a director for the first two episodes it seems that Fiona will be establishing the look and the tone of this series what, what do you think about that because I know you're a big Lord of the Rings fan they almost had um, Guillermo del Toro almost directed mm. you know the Hobbit uh, trilogy and uh, I mean I guess Fiona is kind of in that same world right yeah to be honest, this is a bit of a weird choice. Um, I think that Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is a big mess of a movie, mostly because of its script. And to be fair, Bayona brings a a good visual flair to the film. So perhaps that's what Amazon is looking for when they want to establish their Lord of the Rings series. Um, so, But I don't really know. Like, I, I guess horror and fantasy do intermix especially when you talk about the earlier uh, years of the of middle earth so perhaps this could work out um but yeah it's a strange choice and i know that it's fairly unpopular among people who really dislike jurassic world i was a little bit more uh lukewarm to it uh but i and i do think that it looks really beautiful so perhaps that is a vote of confidence for Bayona taking the reins for this, uh, the first two episodes at least of the series. Well, P- Peter Jackson also came from horror. We can't forget about that. That's so. true. That's true. 
So um, maybe I'm just maybe everyone's maybe we're all just a, a little bit uh, peeved by Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Yeah. Plus, yeah. if you look at um, uh, a monster calls, that's got some pretty good fantasy style to it as well. And I think that that lends itself most to showing that he can probably do something pretty cool with Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I get the sense with J- Jurassic World and some of the stuff he's been like attaching himself to. That it seems like he wants to expand beyond horror, and uh, I'm I'm just wondering what this Lord of the Rings series is, other than you know it being maybe a kind of like Game of Thrones wannabe show for Amazon, but uh, we'll have to see. It'll be interesting. Let's move on from Lord of the Rings to Comic-Con. We've been talking a lot about what is not going to be at Comic-Con. And over the weekend, they revealed that Marvel Studios is actually confirmed for Comic-Con. Brad, what do we know? Yes, Marvel Studios sat out Comic-Con last year since we were kind of in between uh, Infinity War and Endgame. And there wasn't really anything for them to announce without spoiling what happens in Endgame. But this year, they're coming back with a vengeance. Marvel Studios will have their traditional Saturday panel in Hall H, and it'll be about 90 minutes long. Um, Again, we don't necessarily know what it is they're going to specifically announce, except that it will be about the movies that are coming over the next two to three years, maybe a little bit more. Uh, Kevin Feige had previously said that they weren't going to announce any of the future slate until after Spider-Man Far From Home hit theaters, and now that that's out... The time has come for them to reveal their plans. Uh, we already kind of have an idea of what to expect. The Black Widow movie is shooting right now. The, there's been casting going on for The Eternals. We know James Gunn is coming back for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, there's a director hired for Shang-Chi. And, but beyond that, movies-wise, the only things we have to guess at are just sequels for franchises like Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange, maybe Thor. So we're not sure how far out they will let us know what's going on traditionally i think that it's usually been like two or three years right peter yeah except for that one time that they did that el capitan event where they like announced like the whole phase of the marvel cinematic universe (laughs) up through uh infinity war but i'm not sure that ended up up changing a lot didn't it though because weren't they still like thinking about doing inhumans at that point yeah, that was a uh, part of that whole uh, <laughs> reported struggle between Ike and uh, and Feige. But um, I I don't think that Feige and Marvel and Disney want to announce that far out. Like it seemed like it was probably a bad idea to go, to uh, go that far out. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was good for fans because we had a lot to look forward to. But I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be what you said, like two or three years worth of content. Yeah, and I'm sure they'll probably show some Black Widow footage since by the time Comic-Con comes around, they'll have been shooting for like over a little over a month. And they're usually pretty quick about putting together footage for like a, a quick Comic-Con exclusive trailer or sizzle, sizzle reel or something like that. Yeah. It's- there have been some rumblings that maybe uh, they're going to stage some kind of uh, final original Avengers reunion after Endgame as kind of a, little, a quick like farewell and like thanks to the fans and whatnot. You think Robert Downey Jr. might show up? I think it's entirely possible, especially, you know, they gave him quite a send off and it would be kind of cool for him to come back, you know, one last time for for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, especially when you have, you know, Game of Thrones doing a victory lap and, and that kind of thing. It's it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. HG, this is going to be your first Comic-Con. Are you excited for the Marvel presentation? 
I'm excited and nervous because <laughs> I know that this is going to be just a whirlwind of news and everything and uh, nonstop work. But I, I am excited. I can't wait. This is especially with Marvel now announcing their panel. I'm, I'm hoping it won't just be a victory lap like Brad is saying that we'll see something from the future. But um, if we get to see some of the Avengers cast show up, that would be amazing. Yeah. No, I mean, Marvel, I don't think there's been one time that Marvel showed up in Hall H and didn't bring it. So I, mm-hmm. I, I anticipate that it's going to be something to look forward to. Um, every year at Comic-Con, it, it is busier and more packed. And it, it just seems like uh, this convention has been outgrowing San Diego. And for years now, Comic-Con has been threatening to leave San Diego uh, but it looks like that's not happening because they have extended their deal with the city uh, through, what, 2024 HD? What do we know? Yeah, San Diego Comic-Con won't have to change its title anytime soon because Comic-Con International has extended its current agreement with the San Diego Convention Center Corps by another three years. It was due to expire in 2021, but it will now be um, kept for uh, at least through 2024. Um, and this is uh, some a deal that re- uh, basically enables a significant discount for Comic-Con International for renting the center. Uh, the, the San Diego Union Tribune, which reported this story, says that in 2023, they uh, Comic-Con International pay, will be paying $177,000, uh, roughly a $370,000 discount. So this is, yeah, something that is kind of a cause for controversy because exhibitors have long uh, criticize the increasingly small space that is um, now accommodating more and more exhibitors, panels, attendees, etc. But uh, potentially this will be where San Diego Comic-Con will stay for the foreseeable future. I really wonder, like, I feel like the city of San Diego has been, like, making these promises to Comic-Con for years and years. They're like, well, build more hotels. And it seems like they never, like, quite get to the point of what they're what they're promising. Uh, mm-hmm. Brad, do you think that Comic-Con is going to stay in San Diego forever? Or do you think they'll eventually make the move to, like, some place that has more room, like Las Vegas? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like San Diego gets so much of a benefit to their economy when Comic-Con rolls in, especially because it's not all the money is not just in the convention itself. You know, there's all the people that go outside uh, to the areas just outside the convention center because there's so many off-site things that happen. And so I, you know, I, I feel like they'll hopefully do whatever they can to, to keep it there. I, I think moving it would turn into such a logistical nightmare for people who are, who plan comic-con and for people who are plan their visit to comic-con because it would require such a drastic change in like procedures and how things work and where to go and and all that stuff so i'm moving it feels like just as much of a headache as dealing with the crowds at this point <laughs> yeah. speaking of that uh convention expansion uh or convention center expansion according to this report uh san diego San Diego's government is holding a public vote next year to, ter- to determine whether there will be an increase in San Diego's hotel tax to help finance an expanded convention center. So mm. perhaps this will be something uh, that's up to the public vote, of course, but that's also another potential factor in this. Interesting. 
Okay, well, let's we'll keep an eye on this. Uh, let's talk about Back to the Future 4. Or let's not talk about Back to the Future 4. But uh, apparently Christopher Lloyd is talking about it because, you know, I'm sure people are interviewing him. And uh, that's one of the questions, they, they, the go-to questions. Uh, Brad, does Christopher Lloyd want another sequel? I don't necessarily know that he wants another sequel, but he said in a recent appearance at the Niagara Falls Comic-Con last month that he would be happy to do it uh, if he were asked to. But um, if it happened, he kind of had these hopes of what the the movie might do as far as what the, the message might be. Uh, during his response to uh, a question during a Q&A panel, he said, uh, if there were a Back to the Future 4, quote, I think it somehow needs to co- kind of convey a message about something that's important to everyone universally, like climate change. Some way of incorporating whatever fever is going on at the moment into the film and keep it the feeling of uh, 1, 2, and 3. That's a tricky, tricky deal because you don't want to do another one and disappoint. So I don't know. I'd be happy to for myself, but we'll see. And that sounds kind of just like a general you know, uh, response that isn't really a response because obviously no one's working on Back to the Future 4. Of course, you know, most of the cast is going to be happy to do it if the opportunity comes around. Um, but it's it's one of those things where we, we know it's yeah. not going to happen because Zemeckis and uh, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale have already said, like, they, there won't be a reboot or anything like that as long as they're, you know, alive. It's it's literally in their contract, I think it is, that they have like they control what happens with that franchise. So unless some crazy, awesome, fantastic idea comes around, it's just it's probably not in the cards and. As a diehard Back to the Future fan, I, I don't want to see it. Um, it's <laughs> I, I feel like it, it would just end up being really sad because Christopher Lloyd is is very old now. Michael J. Fox, even though he's doing okay with his Parkinson's symptoms, it's he's still not you know the Michael J. Fox he was in the original Back to the Future trilogy, and I just uh, I just feel like it wouldn't really work. Yeah, um, one of the, yeah I don't I, it's my favorite movie of all time, and I do not want a sequel. One of the things that uh, Ben, who wrote the story up, he embedded in this in this story. I, 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 I'm betting most people have not seen this, but there was a special that aired on ABC in the 1990 called the Earth Day special, and it was this narrative story that uh, basically Mother Earth, played by Bette Midler, falled from the sky. She fainted and was rushed to the hospital where she was attended by. Uh, Doogie Hauser, played by Neil Patrick Harris, and um, like it it was one of those specials that like had like a you know just an ensemble and celebrity cast. And at one point during the special, uh, Doc Brown has to go back to the future to save the Earth. Um, Pugs Bunny, the Muppets, ET were also in the special, but um, the clip in the clip of Doc Brown in the special that Ben included is worth your time. It's insane that it even exists but what um, is this special <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know i think it was supposed to be like a warning sign in like 1990 so like that, that was way before you know an inconvenient truth and all that like that whole movement uh, but it is ridiculous it is super ridiculous I'm, I'm sure the whole thing's probably available online somewhere but the clip uh ben embedded just has the doc brown part where he I think he has an interaction with Doogie Howser. So if, if you if you ever wanted to see a Back to the Future Doogie Howser um, mashup uh, crossover, there there you go. So, um, but HD, uh, tell me about this Akira uh, sequel series that's coming. 
Yeah. So on the heels of news that Taika Waititi's uh, embattled Akira live action feature film is kicking into gear, uh, original creator Katsuhiro Otomo has confirmed that he is working on a new Akira anime series. And this will be a sequel to his original 1988 film that became a cult classic and a global sensation. And um, there is, aren't many details about what this series will entail. Uh, he revealed this news at a panel at Anime Expo in Los Angeles, and it will be produced by Bandai Namco Sunrise. But according to Anime News Network, this sequel series will incorporate the entirety of the manga story. So the manga was also created by Katsuhiro Otomo, and this was published before the 1988 film came out. It basically ran from 82 to 1990 and, to- and was um, condensed and and told the first part of the story in his film. So this will follow the events uh, potentially of this uh, manga series and definitely expand more from what we see in the film. And this comes also on the heels of an Acura 4K restoration that will be coming to Blu-ray in 2020. Hmm. So I know you're a big anime fan. What is your feelings on Akira in general anyways? I saw Akira only last year, I think. And this is a truly disturbing uh, anime film. It's something that (laughs) is... I, I respect for being really for being so groundbreaking and for the animation being so spectacular. But it's a film that definitely does not um, pull its punches in terms of its depiction of this post-apocalyptic neo Tokyo in which a gang of juvenile bikers, uh, one of them accidentally acquires telekinetic powers and kind of becomes almost a a nuclear bomb in waiting. There's a lot of really fascinating uh, cultural context that can be unpacked in this film in which i'm i'm probably not qualified to talk about um (laughs) but it's it's such a great and challenging and weird film and i don't know how or if it can be translated to live action i mean at its core it's a pretty basic action film it's about like i said a, a group of teen bikers who accidentally get involved in this sort of massive government cover-up after one of their members uh, in an accident gains telekinetic powers and uh, starts to become more and more mentally unstable. And um, as he discovers, like, the origins of these powers, he they um, he basically is kind of ground zero for another potential apocalyptic um, explosion that could potentially destroy all of Neo Tokyo. At the same time, there is a rebellion against the militant government as well. So it's it's a really rich, really layered story, and it, a lot of the success of the story also this movie also comes from just the astonishing imagery. animation style yeah. and the imagery for sure. Something that's influenced not only anime films but live action films all across the globe. It was kind of the thing that helped spark the. Um, the spread of anime beyond Japanese borders and onto a global stage uh, just because of how, how impressive it is. Um, And yes, it's a film that like I didn't quite enjoy watching, but I really admire (laughs) just because yeah, there's some imagery in it that's really grotesque and really disturbing, but it's so good. And um, I probably will um, try checking out the 4k uh, remaster because I have, I only saw it like on my computer in not, 
total <laughs> legal ways. So I would love to see this in its full high definition. And I'm curious, too, to see how um, Otomo expands the story because it, it does work really well as a self-contained story. But I want to see um, how much more and how much deeper he can get into this um, the, the world of Neo-Tokyo. It's interesting because, you know, you mentioned that live action Akira adaptation and they've been trying to adapt that for like a decade now. And ever since I think that started, they've been saying that it was going to be an adaptation of the the manga, which mm. the sequel series is going to be a part of. So I guess it would be a more wide in scope than that original anime. Uh, do you know anything about the manga? Like, is it worth expanding I- this movie into a sequel series? I can't say I do. I haven't read it. Um, I do know that there are more characters. It's much more complex. I don't think that's a good idea for a live action film because the mythology was already pretty complex as it was in the original animated film. So I and I feel like a lot of the problems that anime adaptations have had is that they try to take on too much and it ends up being really bulky and clunky. Uh, so I don't really know if that's the best idea. Um, mm-hmm. But also at the same time, like trying something different rather than doing a straight adaptation of the of such an iconic film uh, does kind of make sense to me. Yeah. For sure. Okay, I think we've hit the end of today's episode. Uh, you can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find links to all the stories we mentioned today in the show notes, including that Jurassic World, The Ride, POV video. Uh, this podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow.